0: Hey, Howard Jacobson here. Welcome to today's Plant Yourself podcast. A quick reminder, this podcast is free for everyone and supported by patrons. So if you would like to find out about becoming a patron of the show and helping us out, helping defray the cost, helping to spread the message, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. Thanks so much and enjoy today's episode. Hey there, Howard Jacobson here from Plant Yourself, Sick to Fit and Well Start Health. I want to talk about one of the most frustrating phenomena that happen when people try to change long-standing behaviors. When they try to overcome temptations, when they want to change their diet, when they want to start exercising, start a meditation habit or drop, you know, some bad habits, let go of junk food, dairy whatever. And what happens of course is we have this burst of motivation, you know, if something happens, we read a book, we get a scary test result. Uh, we step on the scale and see a number that's just mind-blowingly unacceptable. And so we have this initial burst of of, of motivation, of energy, of excitement. Of, oh, now I'm going to do this thing. And then we go and we find, OK, here's the thing I want to do. And. Then our mind gets in the way. Right. And. We find ourselves at two in the afternoon eating the chocolate bar that we swore we weren't going to eat or staying in bed and scrolling through Facebook and Instagram instead of getting up and going for that walk. And so we wonder, like, what's wrong with us? So the answer is almost always you have to change how you think about these things. So let's say you're eating the chocolate bar. Well, did you have a rule that you can't eat a chocolate bar or was it sort of like a vague intention like I'm just going to eat better and eat better had no definition, it had no boundaries. And so, well, maybe one piece of chocolate, because after all, I don't want to go 100 percent and, you know, perfection, you know, progress, not perfection and all that and have one piece. And then, you know, all the microbes in your gut that love sugar just start crying out and kind of take control and turn you into a, uh, a zombie and you just continually eating the chocolate. So we need to figure out, like, what's the thought that caused the problem? And, and what, where's the, the faulty thinking here? So, for example, for a lot of people, a faulty thought is what's known in behavioral science as the what the hell effect, like you make a small mistake or you do something. You, you kind of cross that barrier into I had one piece of chocolate. And then the brain goes, oh, what the hell? I'll just have the whole thing now. I might as well just finish this bar because having an open chocolate bar in front of me is only just going to make me more tempted and it's going to mess with me and I know I'm going to finish it. So why not just get it over with and then I can start afresh tomorrow. So that's an example of a a cognitive mistake that can get in your way. And there are lots of cognitive mistakes. And when I started coaching, I relied heavily on cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, looking at dysfunctional thinking. The cognitive in cognitive behavior is, well, there's the thinking that leads to the behavior. And so if we can fix the thinking, we can fix the behavior. It's just your your mind is thinking wrong things and we just have to fix that. And I coached that way for a long time. And what I found was people were having short term success, but recidivizing, sliding back. And it was very frustrating for them because now they were having these crazy thoughts, these dysfunctional, unhelpful, disempowering thoughts that were leading them to do unhelpful things that weren't getting them towards their goal. And they now knew that their thoughts were dysfunctional because I had taught them as their coach. I would say, look, here is the mistake you're making. You're awfulizing or you're generalizing or you're only seeing the negative or you're making this mistake or that mistake. And so now not only were they making the mistake, but there was another level of thinking saying, look at me making this mistake. Why do I keep making this mistake when I know it's wrong? And you could argue that what I was doing was actually making things worse for a lot of people. Now, it wasn't true for everyone. There were people who could see their faulty thinking and instantly correct it and say, oh, that was a mistake, just like You know, if you're driving and you've got blinders on and you can't see and you take away the blinders, all of a sudden you can drive better. You have more feedback. So there were definitely people who were able and ready to hear and change, hear about and change their cognitive dysfunctions, their dysfunctional thinking so that they could get on the right track. But honestly, those folks were in the minority. And here's what I've discovered over the last several years of my coaching. And I'll give you a metaphor. Suppose you are a salesperson and you have to sell to the CEO. And the only person who can enact the sale for you who can affirm it, rubber stamp it, write the check is the CEO. And I teach you how to have that conversation with the CEO. And I and I teach you how to talk to the person who is in charge of the future vision of the company. And I teach you how to be strategic, how to be an equal partner, how to ask the right questions, how to frame the conversation, how to help them think about the decision they have to make. These are all really crucial skills. If you don't have these skills, if you can't come in and talk to a CEO in terms of their needs, their organization, their global plans, their future and how your, how your uh, item that you're selling fits into that future, you don't have a chance, right? They're not going to pay any attention to you. So you need all that stuff. You need all those techniques and strategies and ways of thinking in order to get through to the CEO to make your sale. That's the cognitive stuff. Very important. You cannot succeed in your lifestyle change if you don't have correct thinking. But if all I teach you is how to talk to the CEO, how to sell to the CEO, and you can't get to the CEO. It doesn't matter. None of that's going to help if you don't know how to get past the gatekeepers, how to get past the administrative assistants, the secretaries, the voicemail, the, uh, the junk email folder, if you don't have a way in, if you are constantly getting blocked, then your sales skills with the CEO don't matter a whit. So what is the gatekeeper here that keeps people from being able to use their cognitive, newfound cognitive skills and patterns to change these health behaviors? And the answer is the gatekeeper is your nervous system. And what I mean by that is the part of your nervous system that is constantly assessing whether you are under threat or not. So for most for for everyone, we have a part of our nervous system, a part of our neurology that is constantly scanning the environment for threat. No creature could have survived and evolved and passed on its genes without this because we have threat in our environment and it's a much bigger mistake to ignore a threat than to overreact to something that isn't a threat. So the whole system is biased towards making an error into a type one error, an error of, oh, I think that's a saber tooth tiger, let me get out of here. So that circuit is on all the time. It's on when we're having fun. It's on when we're having sex. It's on when we're asleep. right. You ever woken up by the sound in the middle of the night? That's because that circuit was on. You you don't get woken up by normal sounds, by toilets flushing or partners snoring or the house creaking or the wind blowing things you're used to. But you will get woken up by an unfamiliar sound. You might sit bolt upright because that circuit that is there danger here. Circuit never turns off. And when that circuit is on, when you feel like there is danger present, your brain is downshifted and focused on getting out of danger. It doesn't have the capacity to do long term thinking because that would be counterproductive. Right? To think about tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or future plans or strategy doesn't make sense when you're under immediate threat. It wants your brain to focus on what's here, what's now, right now, where's the threat, how do I hide, how do I fight, how do I run away? Many of us have neurologies, have what's, what uh, Peter Levine calls a neuroception, a perception of the world, just like our eyes perceive vision perceive and our ears hear things, our neurology, our nervous system perceives threat, but it doesn't just perceive external threat. If it did, then we'd be fine because you're walking along, birds are singing and you're cool. But when you hear a growl, then your body tenses up, you turn your head on a swivel, you pay attention and you you figure out, do I have to run away from this? Do I have to grab a stick and fight it? Is it Just someone's lawnmower. So the threat arises. We our brain shifts into how do I deal with this this very second? We deal with it. And then if it isn't a threat or if we successfully deal with it, we, we go on with our day. If that's how our neurology worked, it would be pretty flawless. We would make a few mistakes here and there. But basically, we would be fine. The trouble is when we have had a trauma, And it could be a big T trauma, an accident, uh, a violent attack, abuse as a child, neglect as a child. Or it could be a small T trauma like the kind all of us have all the time from wanting to show our artwork to a parent who snaps at us because they're tired and busy and angry, right? These these um, accretions of trauma of, of, of negative childhood events. And just even if we had really good, loving, kind, caring, competent parents, we all have some degree of trauma living in us. That's the price we pay for having human bodies and human lives and human experiences. But when those become stuck in our bodies, they get stuck as threat as this is this doesn't feel safe. And so our neurology doesn't just pay attention to the outside. I don't just look around and say, oh, the sun is shining. The birds are singing. There's a light breeze blowing up oh, a female cardinal just landed on that magnolia branch. All is well in the world. If I have a threat lodged inside me from a past experience, from a past trauma, my neuro- neurobiology looks at that, too, as evidence. So it's looking at itself and saying, you're turtled, your shoulders are hunched over, your head is forward, you must be protecting your vital organs, your throat. Therefore, there must be a threat in the environment. So even though there isn't, my body looks at itself and can say this is threat. And so that is the gatekeeper. If we are constantly feeling unsafe in the world because of our own internal experience, which we interpret as if I feel this way, the world must be dangerous right now. And I better focus my brain on defending myself. Then we don't have the wherewithal to be creative, to change our thinking and to engage in long term planning. So the person who eats that bar of chocolate at 2 p.m may not understand why they're doing it, because rationally, based on their plan, based on their goals, they shouldn't be doing it. But the stress that they feel in their body is saying something like an attack is imminent. We better grab some calories quick. So the CEO can be sitting in their office totally rational, totally focused on strategy and future but the gatekeeper is terrified and won't let anyone through. You know, imagine what happens if a gatekeeper lets some idiot in to talk to the CEO. Is the CEO going to be pleased? Is the CEO going to give them a raise? No, it happens once or twice. The gatekeeper doesn't keep an idiot out of the CEO's office. The CEO is going to can the gatekeeper. You are not doing your job. But what happens when the gatekeeper keeps someone out who is the exact has the exact solution to the CEO's problem. What if the gatekeepers keep someone out, a salesperson who is strategic, smart, funny, kind, wise, totally, exactly what the CEO needs and the gatekeeper keeps them out and they never get to see the CEO. What happens to the gatekeeper? Nothing. There are no downsides for type one errors being overly restrictive in what you let in. And so for same similarly for a biology, there are no obvious immediate negative consequences to viewing everything as a threat and losing the part of the brain that is capable of changing dysfunctional thinking. Does that make sense? Our brains can only change they can only exhibit neuroplasticity when we feel safe, when we can be creative, because when we're defending, there's an axis and we're, we're somewhere in the continuum between defend and discover between I'm unsafe and I'm safe. If I'm safe, then I can be creative. I can discover I can pr- pursue new opportunities new things in the world, new ways of thinking, new ways of being. I can experiment and I can make these changes that are going to lead to the goals that I have and the future that I want, my destiny that I dearly want. So my coaching has changed, right? I focus now on, okay. here are the here is the thinking, right? Here's how we talk to the CEO and we look immediately, did it Did the conversation take place within you? Did you were you able to make this mental shift and say, "Okay, I have a rule. I don't eat chocolate during the week, for example, or I don't eat chocolate at all, or I don't eat anything with refined sugar in it, whatever your rule is. And we see how it works. And from there, we begin to discover where in your body and how in your body that rule gets broken and triggers the unsafety phenomenon. How, let's say, you find yourself breaking the rule with a bar of chocolate at two in the afternoon. And we look at what was this? What are the sensations in the body here? What's going on inside the body? And now we can use the rule and use the cognitive techniques to go deep, to drill into and uncover the trauma. And for a lot of us, for a lot of us, the trauma doesn't need professional therapeutic support for a lot of us, it does. And I'm never going to tell anyone don't get professional therapeutic support. But if the goal is simply I want to eat better, I want to eliminate this class of foods or this type of eating that I'm doing that I know is not supporting my health and my goals. We don't have to solve the trauma. We don't have to fix our relationship with our mother. What we do need to do, though, is feel where in our body the uh, the feelings of unsafety live and what triggers them and be willing to experience them. To not run away from them because the chocolate bar is a solution to a feeling, to a feeling state, to a constellation of sensations in our body that feel so unbearable that we know a bite of chocolate or a glass of whiskey or an afternoon of Instagram or an afternoon of porn or whatever that these things become addictions because they are the medicine that we know how to use to change that state, that negative, scared state, that sensation complex that we just don't want to feel. And the answer to the traumas that we have inside us is to begin to feel them. And as a coach, I have to be real careful to make sure that people titrate those feelings. You don't want to like if you've never got worked out of the gym, you don't start with by bench pressing 350 pounds. You'd injure yourself. And similarly, if you haven't done this work before, I don't lead people into, okay. let's go feel the worst feeling you've ever had. Let's go think about that worst experience and feel it in your body and work through it. We do it slowly. We do it step by step, very incrementally. Low and slow. So if you are struggling with your eating habits or not exercising or unable to meditate or journal or food prep or anything that you just are bewildered or you turned on yourself and you said something wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm crazy. I'm undisciplined. I'm lazy. I have no willpower. I'm just unmotivated. I'm piece of shit, whatever your internal language is, I want you to understand that the reason you have been failing is that you have been preparing for the CEO and you haven't realized there's a gatekeeper. Your body is the gatekeeper and you have to become willing to talk to your body and most importantly, to listen when your body starts talking back to you. Eating that chocolate is basically telling the body to shut up. I'm going to ignore these uh, phenomena. I'm going to ignore this data. I'm going to ignore this feedback. And I'm going to overwhelm it with chocolate or alcohol or sex or whatever. Listening to your body means forming a relationship. And once you do that, then you'll see that the cognitive stuff becomes much easier. Because cognitive stuff is a skill. Pretty much anyone can master it. The emotional and sensational physical stuff in the body that takes courage, that takes patience, that takes work and that takes. Faith, because most of us don't really trust our bodies. That's the essence of the diet industry. It says, don't trust your body. And then we we have other diets that say only trust your body. Right. But which body are we trusting the body that is addicted to chocolate or cigarettes? All right. So instead of trying to. Deal with an untrustworthy body. We are starting a relationship to develop that trust. Right. My friend Peter Bregman explained to me that we build trust by making commitments and then keeping them. And both are important. It's obvious that you have to keep your commitments in order to build trust. But it's what wasn't obvious to me until Peter explained it was you have to make the commitments overt first. If I just show up and do something for you, but I didn't tell you I was going to do it, I haven't built any trust, right? But if I say, hey, I'm going to not eat sugar today and then I don't eat sugar, I've built up a little trust with myself. If I say, The next time I feel that feeling in my gut of fear, of hopelessness, of anxiety, and I'm going to allow some of it to reach my consciousness without reaching for chocolate, whiskey, sex, cigarettes, whatever the body then says, oh, I think we can begin to build a relationship here. So that's a little bit of an explanation about how the philosophy of how I coach and why my clients are no longer going into this recidivism where they have this great um, epiphanies about their thinking and they get real excited and then they kind of hit a brick wall. Because now we're working the gatekeeper at the same time as the CEO, and you can do it yourself, you don't need a coach. What it really takes is setting some very clear guidelines, rules, boundaries, standards for yourself. And then paying attention to what happens when you come upon them in the moment, whether when you succeed and and uphold those standards and rules or when you fail. And then we do what's called the fast assessment where you check. What was I feeling? How was I uh, acting? What was I sensing in my body? What was I thinking? And from there, you drop down into what were the, the negative thoughts, feelings and sensations that I tried to avoid, tried to distract myself from, tried to make go away through the behavior that I said I wasn't going to do. That's the game. If you'd like some help with it. Um, I've changed the pricing on my laser coaching to uh, to reflect pandemic times. It's a pay from the heart model. Um, you can pay as little as eighty three dollars a month for unlimited um, laser coaching sessions with me. If you want to find out more about that, plantyourselfcom dot com slash laser, that's L-A-S-E-R, all lower case. If you found this helpful and you don't need my coaching help, but you'd like to say thank you. Um, you can go to plantyourself.com/slash gift and put something in the tip jar, either a one-time PayPal or becoming an ongoing uh, monthly patron through uh, Patreon. If you'd like to learn how to become a health coach, uh, I've got a new pr- uh, cohort coming up from the Wellstart Health Coaching Academy. It starts middle of May. And you can find out all about that and register for an enrollment interview where you and I sit down for about half an hour and talk about your goals and whether this would be a good fit for you. And that's at wellstartcoach.com. So thank you for listening or watching. Uh, I'm curious for your comments. What's your experience about trying to make these changes? Do you have you felt that the cognitive changes needed to work with the gatekeeper in your body, were you able to make just cognitive changes and change the way you thought and change the way you act acted? Um, How does how has this all landed for you? So love to hear your thoughts and I'll talk to you again soon. As always, be well, my friends. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Barrons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, the Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkus, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, <laughs> hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benin, Gillis, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Daron Avizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen- Ruth Ann Funderburg Misha Rosen Michael Warbeck The Equally Mysterious Tracy Z Aviva Lael Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes Val Lineman Rhymes with Cinnamon Nick Harper Martha Bergner Susan Ahmaud, and Nolly Levine The Inscrutable Harry R Susan Laverty The Panda Vegan Craig Kovic Adam Sharp, Karen Burry Heather Morgan Kelly Machia D.N. Norton Bonnie Lynch at Plant Happy Oregon Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies Marion Blum Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins Breed O'Connell Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Home Hedegard, Isata Tuzenwa, Connie Hayline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen Jo Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich. Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosalind Macatee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Leenan, Patty Di Martino, Mike and Donna Cartz, Diane Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trish Adams. And Kramer, Lent, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Cesar, Shul Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Ganchik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaudem, Edmund Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, and Michael Lushton for your